Well, let's get into Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians 3, 14 through 27. And last week we left off with Abraham and the blessing that came through him onto us. He showed us the way to trust the Lord. And that was kind of the theme last, last week was trusting the Lord. In verse 14, it says in Galatians, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. It is through, through that faithful living that we become righteous and that we are righteous. It is through that belief that, that He is in control that we are righteous. It is because we chose to believe in the Creator of the universe that He wanted a relationship with us so much that He sent His Son to take the transgressions, the sin, off our life and put it onto His life. Therefore, He died on the cross for our sin. But he didn't stop there. He went beyond that. He rose from the grave. He fulfilled the law that we've been talking about so that we don't have to try to fulfill the law. I mean, it's a great law. It's a good law, but it's not the solution. The solution is believing in the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ. So you have all these teachers coming to the places after the apostle Paul leaves And he gives the new church a a strong foundation to build upon. And they're coming and they're disrupting everything, trying to tell people what what Paul was said was good, but you don't have the full picture. Let me tell you. uh, Let me tell you the full picture. What he didn't tell you is all about the law and why you need to try to keep it and why, why you need to start doing these things because it's the law. Even though, you know, as Jews, we were not able to keep the law very well, uh, it's your chance to do better. You know, it sounds like a used car salesman almost. Today, we're in a similar place. Too many of us are trying to keep the rules, the new rules of the church. How do, how do we dress? Some people may be upset I'm not wearing my, my suit or, you know, I grew up uh, uh, going to church and, uh, you know, until I was 16, uh, I basically wore a three-piece suit and then I graduated in a slacks and, and a shirt and a tie. I mean, that was a big deal, you know? So my question for you this morning is this, how did you dress? How did you dress today? Are you dressed properly for our church service? I mean, it is church, even though we can't see you. Did you put on your Sunday best? If the answer is no, then why not? Because those are the rules of worship. You have to put on your Sunday best. It's going to be fun the first Sunday we get back together. I wonder if are people going to be coming in in their sweatpants and their hair all undone and, and, you know, bringing in their bowls of cereal and their food that they, you know, because many of you are doing that this morning. Is that how we're going to act? Well, no, because those aren't the rules. But, but, you know, we have to be careful with that. But you see, there's so many unwritten rules that we follow that has nothing to do with God. If our church went on a retreat, would you bring your suit? Would you bring your Sunday best for the Sunday service? Or would you dress down a bit? I mean, you are at a rustic camp. I mean, sharing the meals, cooking the meals together, uh, playing together in the afternoons. And, you know, mo- most likely you would dress down. So why do we have these rules? Well, it's what we grew up with. It's what we've been taught. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about to the churches in Galatia. It is through faith we receive the Spirit. Nothing else. Starting in verse 15, we see the Apostle Paul apply the previous message to, the day, you know, to day-to-day living. 
In verse, in verse 15, it says, Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to the human covenant that has been duly established, so it, it, it is the case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So last week, we went through parts of Genesis 15, and, and I'll go over to some of that very quickly just for context. Uh, Abraham and his wife uh, have not had any children. They are now beyond childbearing bearing ages. Uh, they're pretty up there in age-wise, and, but he knows that God has promised him children, and he's worried about it. So God, you know, he has this conversation with God, and, and not really argument, but he's like, hey, God, you promised me this. Why? I mean, look at me. I mean, it's... Do you think it's going to happen? I'm not quite sure if it's going to happen. And then God tells Abraham to go out of his tent and look up at the stars and count them. Well, I can't. Well, your descendants will be the same. Too numerous to count. They will outnumber the stars. Then God makes the covenant where he cuts an animal in half and he walks through the middle of the two halves so as to say, if I don't keep my covenant, may I be cut in half, may I be killed. You know, it's an interesting thing that God doesn't make Abraham walk through this. He knows that as humans, we cannot keep the law. The new covenant is going to come. God already knows this. So God stands by his promise as we can see today. I mean, can you count the offspring of Abraham? I mean, we just went through the, the census here in America. Shouldn't we figure out um, where everybody is from? I mean, you know, from Europe or, or, or this continent or that continent and, and where at in those continents and all that. I mean, shouldn't we figure that? Shouldn't we know? We can't. There's too many descendants. There's too many things going on. I mean, through DNA and stuff, we kind of get an idea, but you don't really know. Like the Jews would say, well, I am from so-and-so. I am from this clan. I am from that clan. You know, God stood by his agreement, the covenant. God fulfills all the promises. He keeps his side. And the promises that made God, I mean, that God made, are found in Jesus Christ. The whole point of everything is Jesus Christ. So often we forget about for you know we forget about Jesus for some reason. It becomes all about the the other things and all the rules and all the things that we have to do, and, and Jesus gets left out. I mean, we should have programs, but we should have you know ministries, not necessarily program type ministries. Ministry has its foundation in Jesus Christ. Everything you know should move toward Jesus. Programs. I mean, anybody can do a program. The promises are fulfilled through one individual, and that is Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. What I mean is this. In verse 17, it says, what I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if my inheritance depends on the law then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. This was 430 years after God made the promise to Abraham. We find God's chosen people, the ones who were supposed to show God to the whole world 
through faith and through action. They're supposed to draw people to the Creator, and that's the whole point, is to live a life worthy enough that we are called children of God, and we should, you know, other people should be attracted to that. But instead, where do we find them? In Egypt as slaves. So God provides to them um, through a leader named Moses. And through Moses, he sets up another covenant, which is, which is what we're talking about, the law, the Mosaic covenant. And through this covenant, it doesn't give life. Life comes through grace, not the law. Free grace. God saved Abraham through the promise, not the law given 430 years later. Fulfillment of that law comes through Jesus Christ. Then why does the law matter at all? Paul asked the same question in verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions, in other words, sins and wrongdoings, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. And you have the law until, and that's a very important word, until the seed to whom the promise referred has come. We don't dismiss the law. It's a good law. It has purpose. It is not opposed to salvation and grace, but it's also not meant to save us. It is meant to show us how messed up we are. Anybody out there messed up? I mean, you, you know what I'm saying. Anybody out there have sin in their life? It reveals that sin and that that sin is sin. We are all sinners in need of a Savior, every one of us. This is where we can finally realize that the law cannot get us there. And we can relax into that grace that God has given us. But we don't dismiss the law. It has a purpose. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator, the word says. This is a confusing sentence here. The, the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. So there, you know, there's more than one person involved here. Entrusted to who? A mediator. God gave the law through Moses as a mediator to Israel. I created you so that so so I know what life should look like, how you should live. And the Israelites would call this the way, the truth, and the life. Does that sound familiar to us? This is exactly what Jesus is called in the New Testament. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus made the law so it could be written on our hearts and not just on stone. I mean, who cares if it's on stone? It's just something, who cares if it's in, in, in you know, the paper of the Bible? I mean, that's just paper unless it becomes alive in us. Unless we read it and apply it and, and do the things that it says, it doesn't mean anything. So it would be natural for us to want to live in a way that, it, that was best for our lives. See, that's the process that we're in. It's called sanctification. Us becoming more like Christ over time. Verse 21, it says, Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Christ Jesus, might be given to those who believe. You see, again, the law isn't bad. It is a good law. The problem is when we try to receive life or right standing before God through the law. If the law could give us life, 
Everything is in need of a Savior. You know what I'm saying? We all need a Savior. But the law can't give us that life. He can't save us. Those with morals and those who live without any morals, we all need saving. Because of God's grace, we have a Savior. And the law prepared us for that understanding that we need a Savior. It was by grace that God, we, it was by grace of God that we received the law. It is by the grace of God that Christ chose to die for my sins and your sins. You see, the law points us directly to the only source of life. Verse 23, it says, Before the coming of this faith, We had held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Paul uses a couple analogies here about how the law is revealed and watched over us. Before our faith came about, we were under the custody of the law. Think of like a protective custody. Uh, You know, we were when we were going through the adoptive, uh, adoptive process with our, our four-year-old Grayson, he, you know, we got him as a newborn. He was in our custody from the very beginning. The young woman asked my wife to be there for the birth, and, and you know, we got to know the families and so forth, and it was a, a wonderful time. And, uh, but, but Grayson was under our care and custody for eight months before the judge put down his gavel and said, he's fully under your control and fully yours. You see, the law is the same way. We are all under the custody of the law, the Old Testament, until Christ comes. Just like with Grayson, only so much we could do under that custody arrangement. We were not allowed to to lead the county. Uh, We stayed home during that time. We couldn't go on our normal vacations and, and so forth. Well, under the law, we have restrictions. We don't fully live under under the grace that is given because we're under the law. If we live by that law, we were judged by that law, the Scriptures say. Jesus comes along and says, you've been under that protective custody long enough. You're now free from that law. The law doesn't prevent you, uh, you, know, prevent you from, from things now. Protective custody means to be cared for, to be protected or guided or looked after. And all, all of this moves us toward Jesus Christ. Verse 24, it says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You know, the word for guardian in the Greek is the word uh, pedagogue. And we would translate this as a a school teacher or an educator. Um, But for Paul's audience, it was a little different. A pedagogue was a a slave for a wealthy Greek or Roman uh, family. And the slave was responsible for the male children in the family. Sorry, ladies, not my idea, just the way they did it, okay? So he was responsible for the male children. They would direct the, the child to and from school. They would make sure the child was behaving correctly, had great manners and does his work, as well as protecting the child from harm. Um, they were not actually the teacher, but they were to serve as a, a guide or a guardian, a, a leader and a bodyguard for the child. But when the child was old enough, the pedagogue went away. The role of the pedagogue was always to be intended to be temporarily, you know, to be temporary. The law is our guardian until the you know, time came for Christ, where we we're now justified by faith. The time for the pedagogue is over. 
We need to take on new training, new allegiances, new freedom, in a sense. It is like, you know, taking off the training wheels off the bike. Training wheels, what do they do? Well, they serve to protect and guide the child riding the bike. The training wheels are always intended to be temporary, right? When, we, when the wheel comes off, what happens? Well, my, my oldest really wanted to take his uh, training wheels off his bike at one point. And, and me being a great dad, I said, why not? Let's try it, you know? So the, the first try, I get him going, and I, I'm run along pushing him, and I let go of him and I say, keep pedaling. And the first thing he does is go right toward the tree. I mean, dead on. I mean, from that point on, he was a little weary of the process, but we kept working on it, and he finally got it. And, you know, he got really, at one point, he got really good at jumping off the bike right before it crashed. I mean, it was pretty funny to, to watch, actually. But over time, he began to get, a hand, you know, get the hand of it, and it was time for the training wheels to be off. I mean, it would look pretty foolish for a grown man or a grown woman to ride a bike around with training wheels, wouldn't it? I mean, at some point, those wheels need to come off. The problem is that some of us want to hold on to our training wheels or our guardian. In other words, the law. And we don't take the path of Abraham that we talked about last week. That, the path of, of faith and, and trust in God. And we hang on to the law and try to be a, a good person and do what is right. I mean, that's the training wheel thinking. Paul says training wheels, the guide, the law, doesn't bring us life. We can't go around thinking that, that we can earn life, earn salvation. The law points us to life. But we have to have faith to take off the training wheels. Some of us have had training wheels on our faith for a very long time, since the very beginning, and it's time for us to grow up a little. It's time for us to take those off. It's time for us to run into a tree every now and then and get back up and keep going on our faith. We're going to mess up. We're going to sin. We're going to really mess it up. But when we get back up, we confess our sin, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our faith to keep going. Because we live in a forgiven state. We can't stay with the Ten Commandments. I mean, we've all broken some of them. The list doesn't help us get to God. Faith helps us get to God. And then living by faith helps us make better decisions, which ironically helps us follow the law better. You see how that flips around? The ways of God. You, you see how much that works. You follow Jesus to follow the ways of God. It is not follow the law to get to, to righteousness. It is receive righteousness from Christ, become more like Him. Every now and then we're going to make mistakes, but we don't need to go back to the, the list of do's and don'ts because Jesus is the only source of life for us. We can never really be good enough for God. The only way God sees us as, a, as good enough is through the lens or the filter of Jesus Christ. If you feel like life is, is not fulfilling for you, if you feel like life is just something that happens and there's really not much joy in it, then you haven't been going towards Christ. And I want to invite you towards Christ because Jesus is the fulfillment in our life. The world's way of thinking, what can I get away with? God's way of thinking, who are you becoming? 
The world's way of thinking is hiding stuff from your family or your spouse or, or your boss or, or not taking responsibility, expecting things from God. You know, I've been really good here, Lord. Uh, uh, and, you know, I, I think I deserve something, you know. You need to give me more. But God's way of thinking, being open and honest, being diligent in what He's handed to us, being thankful for what the Lord has given you and relying on Him. Training wheel thinking leads to no trust, no balance, and no freedom. We forget that God rates things on His performance, not ours. Because our God keeps His promises. He walks through the Abrahamic covenant that we did not have to walk through. You know, this reminds me of an encounter that Jesus had with a a rich young ruler in Matthew 19. A man comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, Father, our teacher, how do I get life? Jesus says, keep the commands. And the guy's like, yes, I knew it. I then, then that's me. I mean, I've kept them. I've been really great. I've been like keeping this list and everything. I've done really good. But then Jesus went on and said, well, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And the guy's like flabbergasted. I can't do that. He was enslaved to the things he had, unwilling to let those things go. But Jesus was saying, it, it is time to follow me and not the rules, not the law. You need to sell everything. Get rid of these things that are holding you down and follow me. And the guy couldn't do that. And he knew what it was costing him. Life was right there and he couldn't follow it. You know, this is just bad as an article I read this last week of Will Carroll. He was a, 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 or he is the drummer for a thrash metal band called Death Angel. And He said that uh, he went to hell and met Satan while in a coronavirus coma. So he got the virus, and and as he was in that coma, I mean, he had these weird, wild, I guess, dreams or whatever, and he said he he actually died and went down to to hell, and he said it was scary. He said it, it, it freaked him out completely. It was scary enough that he's now saying, I'm quitting drinking. I'm going to quit all my drugs, uh, except for an occasional marijuana, he said, uh, you know. And here's a quote from him. He said, I'm still going to listen to satanic metal. And I still loved, uh, you know, uh, loved uh, Decide Decide and bands like that. And, you know, Carol, uh, he, he told the newspaper. And as far as my personal life and my experience of what I went through, I don't think Satan's quite as cool as I used to. Wow. You know, the sad part about the, the whole thing? He's not going toward God. He's not going toward the other side. Satan is scary, so I'm just going to stay on the edge of that pit and not go, you know, I'm not going to fall down into it. I'm not going to go down to the center of that pit. This is the same as the rich young ruler. Both recognize what is not good and yet walk away from the opportunity to get right. That's death. That's being dead. It doesn't work. Trying to earn things following rules is the same. Just as dead as the drummer and the rich young ruler, the law does not bring life. All of us are spiritually dead. We are separated from God. That is the point that Paul is showing us here. Dead people can't heal themselves, and you can't earn life. Jesus had to raise Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus couldn't do it himself. You can't raise yourself from the dead. 
See, our problem isn't that we're bad. Our problem is that we're dead outside of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And then down in verse 8 on Ephesians 2, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is not the things that we do or the rules that we follow. It is by grace that we are saved. The law points us to life through Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people alive. I hope you're shouting amen at the TV right now. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't die to make good people or bad people good. He died to make dead people alive. Belief in Jesus is all about faith. It is all, you know, it's not about behavior modification. As I say to my children all the time, I'm not necessarily concerned about the I'm sorry apology. I'm concerned about using your brain. But it's different for Jesus and us. It is not just about using our brain as in my actions are good or my actions are bad. I need to think about it. No, it's about a desire to be like Jesus. Our existence is about who we are becoming. Our goal is not to sin less. Our goal is to, be tr- is to try to be like the one who was sinless. To chase after the character of Christ. That is our new identity. That is our new freedom. A freedom to make mistakes, but it doesn't destroy us. Grace does not mean that we do not put effort into being like Christ. But the problem comes when we think it's about earning something. You see, earning is, a, is an attitude. Effort is an action. Our journey in this life is about God increasing in our life and us decreasing. So we look different than we did five years ago. We look different than we did a, a year ago in our spiritual walk. This is our goal. It is called being a disciple. Our faith is not living out, uh, out of obligation, but out of gratitude. I don't want my kids to be good out of obligation, but out of gratitude of how we raise them. When a teacher comes to my wife and I and says, man, your, your son's a, a joy to have in class, or I wish I had a whole class of students like him. I mean, that's a great parent moment, you know. But at the same time, before we go to, to pat ourselves on the back, we have to think, well, I mean, this is good because we're raising them to be that way. That means we're doing our job and they're responding to that. God doesn't want us to be good out of obligation, but out of gratitude of how we're being raised with the help of the Holy Spirit, not the rule makers. Our gratitude is everything when it comes to God. How grateful are you that Jesus showed you the way? How grateful are you that he showed you the way to life? The fulfillment of the law came through Christ but it wasn't just the, the birth and, and life, but also through his, his death and resurrection and the return that we look forward to one day. Verse 26, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have, been, uh, have clothed yourself with Christ. And this is where we're going to begin next week with these words. You become children of God through faith. 
How strong is your faith? Is it a nine? Is it a ten? Is it a one? Is it a two? Is it halfway in between? See, you need to decide whether, whether your faith is strong enough to go toward Christ. And it's not about the rules. It's about the Holy Spirit. We've, been, been, we've already been forgiven. And we need to live in that forgiven, grace-filled state and turn around and give that to other people. That's why I keep talking about during this time that, that we really need to give grace to other people as we're having these discussions about when to open and, and what's right and what's wrong, what scientist is correct, because this scientist says this, but this scientist says this. We need to be grace-filled during all of that stuff because we should reflect Jesus Christ, the one who is sinless. So let's not st- sin in, in those discussions. Let's get freedom in those discussions. Hmm. But we need to get to a point in our life where we are faith-filled and not law-filled. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you are, you are an amazing God who, who showed us the way to life. I thank you for the life that you've given me. I thank you for the life that you've given us as as Christians, and we pray the Holy Spirit would just envelop us and change us and start to mold us into, into who you are on a daily basis. Help us get past the rules and the law. Help us get to a point where we live in that grace-filled, merciful filled life that, that we end up following the law out of, out of grace and not the other way around. Lord, we thank you for taking care of us. We thank you for watching over us. We pray for, for, for our health in this town, in the city, in the state. We pray for those that are sick in the hospital, that you would, you would touch them and heal them. We pray that this virus would go away, Lord. You can make it go away instantly, and we pray for that. We don't know the purpose for all of this, Lord, but you do. And I pray that people come and seek you during this time. That you are the hope. You are the hope for life. And may we be a hand in that hope. May you use us to give that hope to this world. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.